Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. I think it's time for another trip to the Emerald Iguana Inn. Oh, yes, but with this whole strike situation probably happening, it seems like it's not like we're going to have a ton of work that we need to like stay up all night. True. I just want to go for fun, though. Oh, you want to do something for fun? <laughs> yes. I want to go to the Emerald Iguana for fun. I like it. That I can get behind. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we're going to talk about free work. Then we're going to discuss why sometimes it's best to just start, and we'll answer a mailroom question about all the company names you see in the credits of TV shows. And this week's Hollywood hack is earth-friendly and smells nice, too. But first, we have an update. So, Sarah, recently we talked about how the second episode of a television show is the hardest to write. Like, the pilot is hard, and then the second episode is even harder, and then the third episode is where everything starts to flow. And so Lind had this to say. When you are talking about the second episode of a TV series and it being the most difficult one to make, and sometimes, if not often, the least successful episode, it immediately struck a chord with me. I teach Dutch as a second language to foreigners in Belgium as well as German and Swedish, and I recognize this 100%. A Dutch course is every weekday, either every morning, 9 to 12, or afternoon, 13 to 16, which I guess for us, Sarah, is... One to four. Yes. If I teach a course all by myself, I have so much adrenaline for the first lecture, but then the second lecture almost always is less successful. I always dread the second one as well, so I'm not sure whether this is a self-fulfilling prophecy or not, but I know that many of my colleagues feel the same. 
And so funny, while I was writing this email, I was following one of the 30-day challenges of yoga with Adrian, and I read this in her email about day two. She said, why does day two seem like the hardest? I am an actor, and it is an old theory in the theater that the second day performance after opening night is usually a bomb. Not the bomb, but like it bombs. She says, now, I don't know if I subscribe to this idea anymore, but I will say that it has taught me to look at where the energy is coming from. When you have to go on, you have to perform, you have to cultivate the creativity and the energy from somewhere, or it is a bomb, and you are worth way more than a second night sucky performance. <laughs> uh -huh. And then Lynn said that made her think of us as well. That's funny, isn't it? I never heard that the second night is a bomb. I know. And just it's fascinating, once again, that these things that we think are so applicable to our career are also incredibly applicable in other arenas. Like, yes. I love that. Teaching yes. Dutch and yoga. Also, yes. thank you, Linda, because you remind me that I want to check out Yoga with Adrian, which I have been meaning to do forever. So thank you. Oh, good. Report back on that, Sarah. <laughs> And then, Sarah, we want to remind everyone, Fantasy Island is back Monday, April 10th. And we're so excited because it is an episode written by Brooke Turner, our former assistant turned TV writer. Um, and it is a great, fun episode. And we're so excited because it stars Katie Stevens from The Bold Type, which, Liz, you have loved since yes. the first episode. Yes. You loved the second episode of that show. I did. I even <laughs> loved the second. So that was very exciting for me. Okay, final thing, Sarah, before we get to Treadmill Desk of, I want to remind everyone to pre-order my sister Gretchen Rubin's book, Life in Five Senses. It really helps an author if you pre-order, and I can attest that the book is fantastic. I have read it, and I'm very excited for it to come out. And I have pre-ordered. I Good. can't wait. I've also pre-ordered, even though I've already re read it. <laughs> You're a double supporter. Yes. <laughs> okay, Liz, let's dive into from the treadmill desks of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it is free work. And I should say it's not just this week. I think this is something that is consuming us and all writers in Hollywood for months, if not years. <laughs> Yes, and I know we've talked about this before, but right now it's just such a, can I call it a plague? Um, yes. In the most positive <laughs> possible way. Yes. It's really getting people down because they are just spending weeks slash months working on things for, for no money, and then they just disappear sort of without a thought. I think as writers, we understand that we're not going to sell everything. I mean, you and I yeah. do a lot of free work, and we know that it's not always going to lead to pay, but I think it's this capricious way things for many people seem to be disappearing now that is bothering everyone. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely much more free work than it used to be. There's this New thing of, I guess it's not that new, it's been going on for a while, but bake-offs where they'll have multiple writers do full pitches of a show and then decide who they want to move forward with to the network. And that means that a lot of those people, only one person is moving forward. Everyone else is doing all of that work for nothing. And, you know, I think our Fantasy Island pitch was... It, 
took like six months to kind yes. of get it all together and get in. So that, that sold and became a show, so it was fine, but it was a lot of free work to get there. And I think part of what is frustrating people is that it feels sometimes like the deck is stacked. In other words, they yeah. know who they want, but for whatever reason, they want to have multiple takes. So it's sort of like you're doing all this work only to find out you really never had a chance. Yes. And it's every day in our Facebook groups of yes. WGA writers and people saying, this is an experience I just had. And then I found out at the very end it was a bake-off because they also don't tell you that it's yes. a bake-off. And you think, yes. oh, yeah, I have this project. I'm moving forward. I'm going to pitch. And then it's like, oh, no, we have three other people and we went with someone else. Yes. Which gets me to the sort of action item of this segment. I think yes. it's almost like a PSA for other writers out there. And again, this could apply to other fields, not just um, Hollywood. So people have been talking in our Facebook groups there about how to handle this um, so that it doesn't get to that point. And I thought there were some really good ideas. The first most simple idea is if you're in a situation where you will be sort of launching into a bunch of free work to just simply ask how many other writers are doing this or yeah. doing the same thing. That is a perfectly fair question. And if they can't tell you, if they try to avoid an answer, that's something you want to be pretty wary of and maybe have your agent or manager dig in further. Another thing you can do, which I think is great advice, often these are IP situations, yes. okay? So they have an idea, maybe it's based on a book or an old television show or a movie or an article. Ask the company, what is it that interests you about this material? Yes, because one of the horror stories that we keep hearing over and over and over again is someone will develop a whole pitch and then hear like, oh, it was too close to the book. Oh, we wanted it to be funnier. Oh, we want, you know, and it's like these key pieces of information that you don't have that you think obviously they would share with you, but sometimes they just don't. Yeah. And I mean, I know it is funny that you even have to ask because you'd think that's absolutely the first thing they would tell you. Yeah. But I think sometimes they feel like they want the writer to read the minds of the people who are um, have the the material like they want mm -hmm. to go. Well, if this writer has the right take, we'll know it. Or, you know, we'll yeah. they'll then it's a mind meld. But the truth is, writers can create in many directions. Exactly, you and I can be given a piece of material. We could create it five different ways. And like all of those ways. Exactly. But, you know, it's a, we just pick one and go forward. But if somebody would say, hey, we want this to be funny, or hey, we want this to be an 8 o'clock show, or we want this to be a 10 o'clock show, we're going to develop it very differently. Right. So, These are the things we like about this book or this article. These are the things we don't. You know, it's you can highlight different areas of things and focus in different ways. And tonally, things can be so different. So... It's just getting that information up front if you can. I think sometimes they just don't know. True. Sometimes they don't know. And here's what I'll say. When they don't know is probably when you have a much tougher road to hoe regardless. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a red flashing light of yes. maybe don't do this. 
And then also, so there's the studio and then also the network. If possible, talk to someone from, if there's a network attached. Now, sometimes there's a network you're aiming for and sometimes there's not. If there is, it's really valuable, if possible, to find out what the network is interested in because the network and studio don't always have the same vision. And it's really ultimately the network who's the buyer. Yes, and if there is anything good about vertical integration, which, you know, is it's hard to find anything good. But in for this, usually the studio and the network, often you will know where it's targeted. Yes. More so than in the past, for sure. Yes, and that's true for streaming as well as broadcast. So again, it's not that we don't think we have to do any free work. We do it all the time. We're doing it right now. But we're doing it with an intention of of what's going to happen. And then if it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. But at least we know we're getting our shot, Sarah. Exactly. And then the other thing that writers are doing that we should really bring up and encourage is asking, is there development money? Because Ah. really, there shouldn't be this amount of free work. Writers should be getting paid for months of developing a project. And if they had to pay us, they would be less likely to have five people do something. Well, they would be more, you know, focused with their own money. So a lot of people are now saying, is there development money and I want to get paid for this process? Right. I support those people. I support those people too. So anyway, this is just an ongoing issue. And I would be interested to hear from people in other fields because to me, it's hard to imagine what they would be doing for free, but I certainly could see graphic designers doing free work. Architects. Yeah, so I'm curious if other people are grappling with this issue. And coming up, we will talk about why we decided to just start, but first this break. Okay, Sarah, it is time for the craft and fame in which we talk about the craft of writing because, yes, it's an art, but it's also a craft. This week, we're discussing why we decided to just start. Yes, so we've been talking about how we are writing a book. Um, We're creating our own IP. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we're also really excited about the book. And We uh, have a tendency, I think, to really break things down, get into the minutiae, figure out the arc of an entire thing. And you suggested, like, maybe we should just talk to someone about this. Let's let's talk to Greer Hendricks, um, who is she wrote with Sarah Pekinen, You Are Not Alone, The Golden Couple, The Wife Between Us. Like we've been reading all of their books as we have been in this preparation process. And she said something which really has changed how we're approaching this. Yes. So we had said to her, so how long do you think our outline should be? Like, we're thinking like 50 pages. How long are your outlines? And she said, you know what? You could just start writing. You really don't need a 50-page outline. She said, you have to obviously know where you're going and the big picture but you're going to find out a lot of things as you write, and it may make sense to just start writing and sort of get your voices, get your pace, see how it goes, and then find the next scenes within the writing. And as she said it, it just struck us as like, oh my gosh, this is a revolutionary approach we could take. 
Yes. And we have asked other people about this. Like, well, how much do you outline? How much do you, how do you like approach things? Or do you, do you know everything in advance? And people do have different opinions about this, but I think for this book that made us feel so free. Yeah, it gave us license to write. Because one thing that you pointed out, which I thought was so true, um, (gasps) was you go, I could have written so many books if I just started, as opposed to thinking I had to know everything beforehand. There is a mystery series you've been wanting to write, Sarah, for, I mean, 15 years, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And you have been very diligently trying to think, well, what exactly happens? What are the plot twists? What are the clues? All of that. And you could have just started writing. I know. I would have had like four drafts done at this point, but I will like get a notebook and then write down every tiny little thing and do like extensive character sketches. And, you know, it's crazy. Suddenly I realize, I mean, it's useful in a certain way, but not if you aren't then going to write the book, spend the time writing the book. Yes. And you just start, (laughs) just start. And the thing that's beautiful about writing is you can rewrite for free. It's like, it doesn't cost us anything except our precious time to rewrite. So it's not as if this is written in stone. We can write the first 30 pages, and if we want, we could start over. Exactly. And I mean, we always talk about how writing is rewriting. Like, it's actually really valuable to go through the rewriting process. So why not just dive in? Yes. So it was funny because as we were discussing this, it was reminding us of Jeremy Strong versus Brian Cox on Succession. I don't know (laughs) if other Succession um, lovers are following this debate going on. Jeremy Strong is a method actor who just has to completely immerse himself and almost like live in a very unpleasant state to act. And then Brian Cox is like, just act, just do it. Like, don't don't get dragged down. And so we feel we've been a more Jeremy Strong in our approach to book writing. And now yes. we're going to be more Brian Cox. Yes. That's our goal. We're going to sprinkle in... Probably a lot of Brian Cox. We got to really embrace the Brian Cox of it. Yes. So we divided up the first 30 pages. We have our assignments. Yeah. Um, Now, Sarah, I have not actually started writing those pages. It is utterly terrifying. Yes. Why is it so terrifying? (laughs) Well, I will tell you, I have started, but I started the really easy part. Okay. (laughs) I I mean, it's terrifying because I, partly I think because we're really invested and we're really excited about it. But also, I mean, the other thing that keeps me from doing things is that first fucking sentence. Like, what is the first sentence? I feel like I have to have the most brilliant first sentence anyone has ever written so that I can then go off of that. I just need to put that away. I need to Brian Cox the first sentence and just keep writing. So, yes, side uh, hack for everybody um, and for ourselves. The first (laughs) sentence of the first draft doesn't have to be good. Ultimately, it has to be good, but not in the first draft. Exactly. Especially not if it's going to keep you from starting. (laughs) Right. All right. So we'll be reporting on how we're doing on this. Thank goodness we have all these accountability partners and our listeners because we need them. You know what I think I'm going to do when I do, like, get into the actual draft? I'm just going to write, this is the first sentence, and then keep going. Okay, good idea. (laughs) First sentence, insert here. Yes. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. 
Okay, it is time for the mailroom. We have gotten a bunch of great questions from a listener named Ruth for our upcoming listener questions episode. And it's too many to reply all at once, but they're great questions. So we're just going to kind of spread them out. This is the Ruth mailroom segment. (laughs) Yes. So Ruth says, I'm confused about the interaction between production companies and distributors, as well as the interaction between various production companies within the same TV show. For example, if you go to the IMDb page for the show Modern Family, it lists Levitan slash Lloyd, 20th Century Fox Television, Steve Levitan Productions, and Picador Productions as producers of Modern Family. What does this mean exactly? All of those entities gave money for the show to be produced, or did they give other resources like administrative resources? And how do they interact with the distributor, ABC? What are the responsibilities of each? Whom do the writers need to listen to for notes? If you are hired as a PA on a show, are you hired by the distributor, in this case, ABC, or by one of the production companies? Thank you so much. Well, boy, there's no one answer to this question. Right. Every show is different. Yes, but I will say thank you for giving us the Modern Family example, because in that case, this is what I would gather from those that list. Levitan and Lloyd, because they work together, often have their own producing company. So that would be the Levitan-Lloyd part, but they don't put any money in. They don't contribute to the budget of the show in any way. Then 20th Century Fox is the studio, and they pay for the show. Then Steve Levitan Productions, he has his own company, just like I have a company and Liz has a company. His is more successful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then Picador Productions is Christopher Lloyd's company. I looked it up. So Ah. that's what all of those components are. And if there's a non-writing producer attached, then their company would also have a name in the credits. Yes, known as a pod, right? Yeah. And the thing is, it just depends on, it's always the studio that pays, unless sometimes the studio and the network, which is what Ruth is calling the distributor, sometimes they share costs. I mean, there are different deals now. But it's never the case that the production companies pay. I mean, that's always really usually a director, a writer, an actor maybe if it's you know if you have a big star attached to something their company could also be one of the producing companies but really the money is the studio so when you say like who is paying a PA for instance the studio is paying the PA studios pay us studios pay for all of the production Yes. And who do we listen to for notes? We oh, listen to <laughs> everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, you, if there's a non-writing producer attached or a pod, you listen to them and then you listen to the studio and then you listen to the network. And sometimes you listen to them multiple times for yes. each step. And sometimes they don't agree, as we were talking about earlier. (laughs) Um, I will say, though, when it comes to notes, I think everyone agrees that the ultimate note giver is the network because they are the deciders about whether or not the show is going to go for one season, two seasons at all. So ultimately, their notes usually trump everyone else's notes. But we listen. If someone gives a note, we're listening, basically. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's what we've signed up for in this life. Yes. Okay, coming up, we've got a happy hair Hollywood hack. But first, this break. 
Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's Hollywood hack. I have never heard of this until you mentioned it the other day. I'm fascinated to hear about it. Shampoo bars. Yes. So in my ongoing quest to be more environmentally friendly in my life, (laughs) I have started using shampoo bars, which is basically like soap, but shampoo. So it doesn't have packaging. You don't have bottles that you have to recycle. It's just a little round bar that you use to wash your hair. And I love them. I get mine from Kitsch, which is mykitsch.com, M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H.com. But you can get them anywhere. I mean, they have them at Target now. I was shocked that you hadn't heard of them. They're so, uh, in a great way, they're really available. Like they have them at the Eco Store here, but they also have them at Target and Whole Foods. And, you know, you can really find them. And so I think mine is awesome. They last for a long time. Uh, not as long, probably, as an entire bottle of shampoo, but they cost less than an entire bottle of shampoo. And you like the actual shampoo. I like it very much. It's very, like, lathery in a good way. And then I also have a conditioner bar, which I'm a huge fan of wow. as well. So, yes, this is it's transforming my shower experience. Okay, shampoo bars. I got to check this out. I'll get you some for your birthday. Okay. (laughs) I look forward to it. Okay, every week one of us is going to recommend a book, podcast, TV show, movie, just some cool cultural thing that we enjoy. And this week I am recommending The Flutter Experience. This is if you live in L.A. or near L.A., if you have kids. Frankly, even if you don't have kids, this is a super fun thing to do. It's on La Brea, and it's an experience of art, but in a really fun way. Like, all of these different artists have designed rooms, and you have a guide dressed in a pink work suit, so it already feels fun, and they walk you through all of these different rooms, and in some of them, you're, like, doing art with giant magnets on the wall. And some of them you're watching like a video that doesn't even make sense, but you're like, oh, that's cool. And in some of them, you're having your aura read by a computer. And in some of them, you're swinging on a swing and being Mm. relaxed. And Violet went to it with a friend of hers from Ojai. And then she was like, I have to take my friend Alex to this. (laughs) So (laughs) then we went again. So we've been twice. And it's just, it's a very uplifting fun thing to do with with a you know 90 minutes of your time. I found nice. it so delightful. So it's I could see this traveling. It might go other places too. So I would think so. Yeah. yeah. Feels like that kind of thing that'll start here and then travel. Yes, hopefully. All right. Flutter. The flutter experience. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And please do follow us if you're not already following us. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed. And thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. 
I will say we enjoy it more when we're getting paid for it. <laughs> I also do. That, that does help. Yes. Not going to lie. From the Onward Project.